invite you to turn with me in your copy of the scripture to the Psalms. We're going to be reading from Psalm uh, 7 uh, together tonight. Psalm of David. And there are those psalms that you come across uh, in the Psalter uh, that uh, we find at times uh, difficult to read. Not difficult because the, uh, the words are difficult or because we can't understand them, uh, but psalms that are difficult to read because sometimes they go against um, all the things that we hear uh, in the world around us. Uh, and so it's good for us to again hear the word of the Lord uh, and to hear what he has for us tonight uh, from this psalm. So this is the uh, word of the Lord, and we hear it together. O Lord my God, in you do I take refuge, says David. Save me from all my pursuers and deliver me. Lest like a lion they tear my soul apart, rending it in pieces with none to deliver. O Lord my God, if I've done this, if there's wrong in my hands, if I've repaid my friend with evil or plundered my enemy without cause, let the enemy pursue my soul and overtake it and Let him trample my life to the ground and lay my glory in the dust. Arise, O Lord, in your anger. Lift yourself up against the fury of my enemies. Awake for me. You have appointed a judgment. Let the assembly of the peoples be gathered about you. Over it, return on high. The Lord judges the peoples. Judge me, O Lord, according to my righteousness and according to the integrity that's in me. Oh, let the evil of the wicked come to an end, and may you establish the righteous, you who test the minds and hearts, O righteous God. My shield is with God, who saves the upright in heart. God is a righteous judge, and a God who feels indignation every day. If a man does not repent, God will wet his sword. He has bent and readied his bow. He has prepared for him his deadly weapons, making his arrows fiery shafts. Behold, the wicked man conceives evil and is pregnant with mischief and gives birth to lies. He makes a pit, digging it out, and falls into the hole that he's made. His mischief returns upon his own head, and on his own skull his violence descends. I will give to the Lord the thanks due to his righteousness. And I will sing praise to the name of the Lord, Most High. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray for his help tonight. Heavenly Father, we thank you uh, for your word, that your word is true, that all scripture is breathed out by you, our God, and is useful uh, for all good things. And so we pray that by your Holy Spirit, You would take this passage and work it into our hearts and minds tonight, that we would uh, know what you are saying to us, that we might uh, live it out in our lives in the week to come. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, if you were to travel to uh, Washington, D.C., and visit the uh, Jefferson Memorial uh, on the northwest wall of the Jefferson Memorial, you would find uh, these words of our our former uh, president taken from his uh, writing notes on the state of Virginia. 
This is what you would read as you looked up there at that memorial. God who gave us liberty, or God who gave us life, gave us liberty. Now remember, Jefferson did not believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, but much of what he said rings true for Christians, and this is one time. God who gave us life gave us liberty. Can the liberties of a nation be secure when we have removed a conviction that these liberties are the gift of God? Indeed, I tremble for my country when I reflect that God is just and that his justice cannot sleep forever. Now, you've probably heard that quote, but I wonder if you uh, have heard what he said after. Commerce between master and slave is despotism. Nothing, said Jefferson, is more certainly written in the book of fate than that these people are to be free. Now, if you were to ask uh, President Jefferson, how many people do you own? Um, He would have said about 600 human beings throughout the course of his uh, throughout the course of his life. If you were to ask President Jefferson, how many of those slaves did you, in fact, set free? Uh, He freed two people during his life, five people in his will, allowed a few more to escape. And they were all from the same family. So of 600 people that Jefferson enslaved, uh, 10 were set free. It is good to reflect that God is just, and his justice cannot sleep forever. It is better uh, to believe that he is also uh, my judge. Who was Cush, the Benjamite? Psalm 7, the heading goes like this, a shaggy aunt of David, no one knows what that means, uh, which he sang to the Lord concerning the words of Cush, a Benjamite. We don't know anything about this Cush. All we know is from this psalm, and he was apparently saying nasty things uh, about David. Now, he was a Benjamite, and uh, of course we remember King Saul was from the tribe of Benjamin, so perhaps this is a loyalist that had it in for David. Shammai of Benjamin would curse David years later. Sheba of Benjamin would lead a revolt. And Cush is a Benjamite. But somehow, Cush was uh, slandering the king, his character, and his integrity, which leads David to this cry for justice in Psalm 7. A couple things tonight that we see in this passage. First of all, we find from King David uh, that the Lord is the searcher Uh, The Lord is the searcher of hearts. This is what we find out in this passage. It starts, as many of the Psalms do, with uh, David, again, uh, expressing the fact that his faith is in the Lord. He takes refuge uh, in him uh, and crying out to him to save him from what seems to be a very dire situation, as David describes it in verse 2. Less like a lion, uh, they tear my soul apart, rending it in pieces. Uh, with none to deliver. So it's a very graphic scene that David portrays uh, what Cush uh, and what he's been saying about David, what others are again trying to do to him. So it's a dire situation. And again, as David does, as we find throughout the Psalms, that in a time of distress, uh, he turns, of course, to the Lord. But what's interesting in this Psalm is, is how he does it. Verse 3, O Lord my God, if I have done this, if there's wrong in my hands... If I've repaid my friend with evil or plundered my enemy without cause, let the enemy pursue my soul and overtake it and let him trample my life to the ground and lay my glory 
in the dust. And so he appeals to the Lord. And basically what David seems to be saying to the Lord is, uh, Lord, you uh, you search me out. In this case, in this particular situation, I'm appealing to you, and I know that you are the searcher of hearts. Lord, search me out. Am I really guilty of what this man Cush has accused me of? Now, David, of course, he's not claiming here to be without sin, uh, but has he truly sinned in the way that he has been accused of? Well, the first point here is simply this, that David knows uh, that God knows. David knows that God knows. God sees David. He knows his motivations. He knows what's happening within. He knows why he does things. He knows what he's done. God sees David and knows his heart and mind and his conscience. Uh, So David's on target here. He says, if I am guilty here, then I deserve judgment. But Lord, you know truth, and I know you see clearly. I don't know if you've ever... um, you know, gone swimming somewhere or come across, uh, maybe you want to go swimming in the river or a lake somewhere and say, oh, this looks like a beautiful place to go for a swim. Uh, but then you get into the water and, and it doesn't quite feel right. And you start looking around and there's all sorts of bugs and there's things on the bottom and it's, 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 it's filthy. Uh, but from afar, it looked, it looked really good. Um, I think I was talking to some, I forget who it was now, somewhere in our uh, community here, someone who used to be a... Uh, uh, who used to be a water inspector or something like that, or would go to uh, see what was in the water. And I think this person said they're never going back to that beach again uh, after they analyzed what was in that water, what they, when they really saw. Uh, but the thing is that we can, you know, things can look very clear, uh, very, very beautiful for us. Uh, but David notes that, that God sees clearly. He sees everything uh, that is going on within, and he appeals to the Lord who sees them. Now, this is a conviction, of course, we must have. Notice what David says in verse 9. Oh, let the evil of the wicked come to an end, and may you establish the righteous. Uh, you who test the minds and hearts, O righteous God. This has to be our conviction that the Lord sees, uh, the Lord knows. He is the searcher of hearts. Psalm 139, David will write this. O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down, when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down, are acquainted with all my ways. And then this verse, even before a word is on my tongue, I guess that means it's still in my mind. It's still in my heart. Even before words on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it all together. That's how he starts that psalm. You know how he ends? He ends this way. Search me, O God. And know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any grievous way in me and lead me. Why would you want to pray that? Lead me in the way everlasting. Um, used to be a, a reformed um, uh, church kind of habit to speak about uh, having a searching ministry or something like that where we understood that the word of God, God himself using his word, uh, searches us. You know, searches us out, our mind and heart, that we might be, uh, uh, that, that, that what lies within would be uh, shown to us, so that we would, we would know where we need to go, uh, how we can be led uh, in the path of righteousness. Paul had this conviction, remember in 1 Corinthians 4, uh, he's talking about himself and Apollos, and uh, he says, I don't even judge myself, uh, because my conscience too is, is, 
Actually, the Lord judges me, says Paul. Even if I think I'm something I'm doing is absolutely right, the Apostle Paul says, I don't even judge, judge myself. It's the Lord who judges me. That's the one before whom my conscience is bare. And of course, Hebrews uh, tells us uh, how this works. How does the Lord search us? Uh, well, by his word. Hebrews 4.13 says, And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him uh, to whom we must give account. So that's the first thing. Uh, David knows as he comes to the Lord, he's in a time of distress and uh, peril, uh, but he knows that the Lord is the searcher of hearts and he knows that the Lord searches his own heart. So when we pray, and as we live before the Lord, quorum Deo, before the face of God, we need to know that he knows and that will lead us to be humbled, it will lead us to be truthful, it will lead us to be repentant, and it will lead us to rejoice in his grace. The Lord is the searcher of hearts. The second thing we know in this passage from David is that the Lord uh, is a righteous uh, judge, the one who searches the minds and hearts of men. David writes in verse 6, Arise, O Lord, in your anger. Lift yourself up against the fury of my enemies. Awake from me. You have appointed a judgment. Verse 8, The Lord judges the people's. Judge me, O Lord, according to my righteousness and according to the integrity that is in me. Verse 10, my shield is with God who saves the upright in heart. God is a righteous judge and a God who feels indignation every day. Now, David is not claiming uh, to be without sin when he speaks of being upright in heart or the integrity that is in him or when he speaks of my righteousness. He's not claiming to be righteous somehow in himself before the Lord. David is not a Pharisee. Uh, like Job, uh, who the Lord himself called blameless, an upright man who feared God and turns away from evil. Like Simeon uh, in Luke 2 at the temple, who's described as righteous and devout. Believers in the Bible and in the Psalms are called the righteous not because of an inherent righteousness of their own or in themselves, but because of a, an alien righteousness or a righteousness that's outside of themselves, that is, a righteousness not of their own. And we know that from Abram, of course. Abram believed the Lord, and he counted it to him as righteousness. We know that David did not believe that he was without sin and righteous in himself because where do we go often for a uh, reading, for instance, that uh, reminds us of how we need to confess our sins to the Lord? Well, we go to David in Psalm 32, for instance. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity. David says the blessed one is not someone who's righteous in themselves, but who knows that the Lord counts their sins not against them, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. I acknowledge my sin to you, says David. I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I'll confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. So David's never claiming here to be righteous in himself. So when David appeals here, though, to my righteousness, he's thinking of this man Cush's attack against him. This is not true. He is not claiming to be without sin and without need forgiveness, but he's claiming that in this instance uh, that uh, he has not done what this man, Cush the Benjamite, and he appeals to the righteous Lord, search his own heart, and he knows 
that the Lord is a righteous judge. But notice, uh, what is the hope of this then forgiven sinner, David? Now, this is where our, uh, our, our this is where the scripture here is very countercultural. What is the hope of David, the forgiven sinner? Well, verse six, arise, O Lord, in your anger. Lift yourself up against the fury of my enemies. Awake for me. You have appointed a judgment. So, David, in distress, Lord, searcher of hearts, the Lord's a righteous judge. And now he appeals to the Lord to awake, to be aroused that way to action, because he knows that the Lord has appointed a judgment. Now, notice David uh, does not make himself the judge. He knows the Lord has appointed a judgment. Um, Verse 7, he talks about how the assembly of the peoples are gathered about the Lord. And this picture of the Lord giving a judgment over, over the peoples. Said Abraham with regard to Sodom and Gomorrah, Shall not the judge of all the earth do uh, what is right or what is just? Didn't Paul say at uh, Athens, you remember when Paul is uh, having to uh, deal with uh, those who were very religious but did not believe in the Lord Jesus. He tells them a lot of things about the creator uh, of the world. And he also says this, the times of ignorance uh, God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And of this he's given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. And so uh, when the Apostle Paul is speaking to those who don't know the Lord, he reminds them that, uh, that uh, there is a, a fixed day coming, a day of judgment by which all men uh, will be held accountable uh, before that one whom, whom God himself has raised from the dead and given the authority uh, to, to judge. And didn't Jesus himself, of course, tell us in the Gospels, for instance, in the Gospel of John, uh, these words. For the Father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the Son. Why? That all may honor the Son, just as they honor the Father. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Truly, truly, said Jesus, I say to you, Whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. Truly, truly, said Jesus, I say to you, an hour is coming and is now here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. For as the Father has life in himself, so he's granted the Son also to have life in himself and he's given him authority to execute judgment because he is the Son of Man. Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming. How could we not marvel? For an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out. Those who've done good to the resurrection of life and those who've done evil to the resurrection of, of, of judgment. This is what David knows, that the Lord has appointed a judgment. Now here's the thing. For David, that God is righteous, And he's appointed a judgment. For David, uh, this is a glorious, hope-filled, praiseworthy truth. What? All wickedness, evil, 
All enemies of God will be held accountable to God. Remember, we pray in the Lord's Prayer, Thy kingdom come. That means uh, that more and more Jesus Christ reigns and more and more Satan's kingdom falls. You want Satan's kingdom to be destroyed. And David here is not just concerned about himself, but with all God's suffering people. Right? Verse 8, the Lord judges the people. He's not just thinking about himself, but that he's appointed a judgment for all. There's a lot of wickedness out there. Newsflash. Exclusive. A North Carolina middle school student was suspended for three days over a conversation he had with classmates about Jesus Christ. The 12-year-old is a 7th grader at Envision Science Academy in Wake Forest, North Carolina. He also is a devout Christian. Father said he received a phone call from the assistant dean saying he needed to attend a meeting about his son's continued behavior. Several of the boy's classmates had started a conversation during the previous school year about Christianity. His son explained how they needed a relationship with Jesus Christ to go to heaven. She told me that my son had violated Title IX. Dad said. The two kids who complained interjected themselves into the conversation and ridiculed my son about his faith and how stupid it was. School's dean said the other students had been taunting his son. That didn't seem to matter. She said they were going to suspend him for borderline harassment, he told me. They took the word of the other kids above my son's word. It's sick and sad. Never seen anything like it, the dad said. But I know the world we live in, it's, uh, it's pretty wicked at times. Twelve-year-old boy doing what his parents told him to do. You've got to share with others that uh, there's only one way of salvation. That's Jesus. And uh, we have life with him forever. Well, that's wicked. This is not a, a terrible truth, you see, for David, that God is just and he's appointed a day of judgment. It's not a terrible truth. It's not a truth to be avoided or hid from your children uh, or your neighbor uh, or even your own heart. But why is this a truth that gives hope that he's appointed? Davis helps us with this. This is hard to hear, but I think we need to hear it. Said Dale Davis, if that is not the case, if he hasn't appointed a judgment, are we not led to despair? In late 1937, the Japanese entered China's capital, Nanking. They marched pregnant Chinese women to a killing field where the soldiers placed bets on the sex of the baby about to die as they murdered mother and child with a samurai sword. If they face no judgment, said Davis, how is their choice any different from your choosing cornflakes over oatmeal for breakfast? Currently, he says, there are several warring factions within the Democratic Republic of Congo. Combatants of all groups, according to World Magazine, have had a long-standing practice of, of raping women and girls. Women are brutally raped, perhaps in front of their parents, and then frequently are shot or stabbed. If these thugs never have to face the bar of heaven, can their actions matter any more than attending the opera As Yahweh has appointed a judgment. And of course, David knows the Lord is his righteous judge as well. As did Paul, where Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5.10 that we will all appear. We will all appear. Each one will appear before the judgment seat of Christ. The believer judged, vindicated in the judgment. That is, the believer in the judgment shown to be righteous 
because they are united to Jesus Christ, righteous in him, the Lord our righteousness. The unbeliever judged in that judgment that is shown to be guilty outside of Christ and facing uh, eternal punishment themselves. The Lord is the searcher of hearts. The Lord is a righteous judge. And this is David's hope and assurance. He's appointed a judgment. And this righteous Lord then is, is worthy of praise. Notice what David says, verse 12. If a man does not repent, God will wet his sword. He has bent and readied his bow. He's prepared for him his deadly weapons, making his arrows fiery shafts. Behold, the wicked man conceives evil and is pregnant with mischief and gives birth to lies. He makes a pit, digging it out, and falls into the hole that he's made. His mischief to returns on his own head, and on his own skull his violence descends. I will give to the Lord the thanks due to his righteousness, and I will sing praise to the name of the Lord Most High. It was to this passage that Jonathan Edwards appealed in that famous sermon, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. This is what Edward said. The bow of God's wrath is bent, as the psalmist says. The arrow made ready on the string, and justice bends the arrow at your heart. He's speaking to those who are unrepentant sinners. And strains the bow, and it is nothing, said Edwards, but the mere pleasure of God is grace. And that of an angry God, because he's angry at sin, without any promise or obligation at all, that keeps the arrow one moment. That's what Edward said. He was just, he was, he was just saying what, what Psalm 7 says. Oh, oh, has Jonathan Edwards been ridiculed for hundreds of years since for saying what Psalm 7 says. But notice that Psalm 7, and Edwards himself, was pointing actually also to the, to the grace of God, as well as the justice of God, as he spoke there, that sinners who do not repent um, are under threat of the, the wrath and, and punishment of God, but it's restrained, it's restrained by his mere pleasure, that is, by his, by his grace. But sin deserves death. But God is patient. The thought of his judgment and his patience has a purpose. It's meant to turn us to repentance. This is what the Apostle Paul tells us and reminds us of, of course, uh, in the book of Romans, where he's speaking now, not actually to those who are outside the covenant people. He's speaking to those within the church, uh, to the Jewish people who've had the covenants, who've had the word, who've had the promise. And this is what he says in Romans 2.3. Do you suppose, O man, you who judge those who practice such things and yet do them yourself, that you will escape the judgment of God? Or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? That's what, that's what Edward was trying to say. The, mere, the fact that it's the mere pleasure of God that holds back his wrath against your sin when you're unrepentant, Oh, that's the grace of God. So you need to repent before that judgment, before that judgment comes. This is important. The Bible says the gospel is not, the gospel is not 
Don't say this to somebody. The gospel is not, would you like a personal relationship with Jesus? The gospel is not, God really wants to be a part of your life. Won't you let him have the chance? Friends, the Bible says all people already have a relationship to Jesus. He is either your judge or He is your Savior. God is already a part of your neighbor's life. Uh, either loved, redeemed, saved through faith in His Son, or they're under the divine, righteous judgment and wrath of God apart in His Son. The Bible says if a man does not repent, if a man, woman, or child says, I'm not a sinner, I don't have sin problem, uh, you know, that's, that's, that's not for me. Um, the Bible says uh, the wrath of God is there. But there's grace here in that psalm because says, if a man does not repent, which means that if he does repent, if he turns from his sin, that there is forgiveness, as David himself knew. With the Lord there is forgiveness for those who for those who repent. But what is David's response to this, friends? Well, David's response, of course, to the fact that God has appointed a day of judgment, uh, that there is forgiveness for those who repent, uh, but all sin uh, will be held accountable, will all be held accountable to God. How does David end this psalm? Well, he ends it with thanksgiving to God. I will give thanks to the Lord. I will give to the Lord the thanks due to his righteousness. I will sing praise to the name of the Lord most high. Someone has said that this psalm begins with the Lord, first verse, O Lord my God, and it ends with the Lord, the Lord Most High. And in between, uh, that's where David lives. The Lord at the beginning, the Lord at the end. Friends, this psalm reminds us that believers and all peoples uh, must know and believe uh, that God hates sin. Verse 11 says God's a righteous judge and a God who feels indignation every day. He hates sin, he will punish sin, and execute judgment against all sin uh, and my sin. This is a truth of the scripture, a uh, truth that uh, the author to the Hebrews uh, reminds us of so importantly that it's appointed unto man uh, once to die and then to face the judgment. But there is a verse that goes right after that, of course. So Christ... Having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. You see that? The Bible says it's appointed, as David says, it's appointed unto man once uh, to die and then to face the judgment. David says, that's, that's my hope. I know that is coming. He's a righteous God. He's a searcher of hearts. And if a man does not repent, uh, that wrath will come because that day will come and all witness will be restored. And the Hebrew says, that day is coming. So Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. What is our mission as a church? Do you believe this psalm? Friends, the question is then, had Jesus borne my sins on the cross 
Or will I bear my sins myself at the judgment? The Bible says there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And we say amen to that and praise the Lord to that. But if that's true, then it also means uh, that there is no salvation for anyone outside of the Lord Jesus. Do you believe that? Do you believe that the Lord is a righteous God? The searcher of, of hearts and that he's worthy of praise because in fact he has made a way for sinners like us not to come into the judgment that we all deserve. That he's made a way through his son. So if you have faith in the Lord Jesus, you're united to him. You will stand before the judgment. Uh, but you will, you will be vindicated because the Lord will look at you, not at you yourself, but he'll look at you only through the perfect life and death and work of his son, the Lord Jesus. And you will stand righteous in his sight. But if you are outside of Christ, then you will stand before the righteous judge alone. We need to tell our family. We need to tell our friends. Oh, we need to tell our neighbors that this is true. That's what we do. That's what the church here is all about. We have to tell others that there is a Savior from the wrath to come. In His name is Jesus. May that be so. Let's pray uh, together. Heavenly Father, uh, we thank you for this passage of Scripture, which is a difficult passage for us. Lord, we'd like to avoid this passage because it speaks so clearly to us that you are a holy God, you're a just God, you're a righteous God, and we know ourselves to be sinners. But Lord, with David, we want to be able to praise you and thank you and, and sing your praises because we know you're righteous, and we also know you're merciful that... There is forgiveness with the Lord. There is repentance for sin. There is a Savior who is Christ the Lord, and David himself knew it. How blessed it is for our transgressions to be forgiven, our sins to be covered. And we, Lord, even more than David, know how that has happened through the giving of your own Son, through whom we do not stand condemned in the judgment but that we are received into your presence through Jesus as your dear children. Help us, Lord. Help us, Lord, to believe these truths that we might proclaim them to all those whom you place upon our path that they too might know the blessing that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.